In late April 2012, a teenager checks out of a group home for pregnant and teen moms that she's been staying at. She's on a weekend pass to spend the weekend with her paternal aunt and cousin, but by Monday, she's reported missing. Initially classified as a runaway, 15-year-old Kyosha Felix's case isn't taken seriously until almost two months have passed. By then, she's reclassified as a missing person, the investigation into her disappearance is plagued by small-town politics, investigative missteps, and a lack of support by her community. It's taken the force of a small handful of volunteers and her family members to keep moving her case forward. This is her story. Hi, I'm Vanessa. And I'm Amy. And you're listening to She Goes by Jane. At the end of this episode and every episode, we will be joined by a special guest who will read an original poem by Amy Baker about the women we're featuring. This week, we will be joined by guest reader McKenna Roberts. Hi, Vanessa. Hi, Amy. I have never had the opportunity to contemplate more the difference between like Louisiana French pronunciations and like upstate New York Quebec French pronunciations than I did for this episode. So there's a big difference? Uh, apparently. And so I am hoping that I am saying everyone's names and the places correct, but just know that it is influenced by our geographical and family connections to Quebec. Quebec. Yeah. Okay. So I guess our audience will just have to forgive us. I hope so. Is it really that big of a difference? They don't pronounce anything like Quebec French? Okay. How would you say the name C-R-E-D-U-E-R? Crédué? Crater. No, it's not crater. Crater. Crédué. Crater. So this is feeling a lot like the time that I saw how... Coeur d'Alene is actually spelled. <laughs> I will never let that go. It is not freaking Coeur d'Alene. Okay. That's not crater. Crater. It's not crater. Okay. Okay, so okay. we're going to just deal with that. Crater. <sighs> yeah. Are we ready? I guess. Okay. This time our story starts in Doosan, Louisiana, which is a small town of just about 1,700 residents, and it straddles the Acadia-Lafayette Parish line. In what I would say as a northerner is central-southern Louisiana. And there, on the night of April 30th, 2012, Kiosha Felix, who's 15, disappears from her paternal aunt's home. What follows is years of her case being overshadowed by small-town politics, victim-shaming, and media biases. We're getting into victim-shaming a 15-year-old? Yes. I already don't like this story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's pretty recent, too. Yeah. She's still a baby. Mm-mm. Kyosha was born on April 8th, 1997. She's the second child of both of her parents, though her mom at least does go on to have more children later. Like a lot of the women and teens we talk about, there's not a lot we know about her. 
Her grandfather says that in high school, she was into track and always bragged about how fast she was. But otherwise, she's described by her family members as being beautiful and sweet. And most of their commentary was that she was just a regular teenager and deeply dedicated to being on her phone, particularly updating Facebook regularly. Back in the time when teenagers still used Facebook. Yeah, it was 2012. So yeah. Facebook would have been... Yeah, a lot of those Not other... replaced by TikTok. No, because there was no TikTok. Or Snapchat. Yeah. Were there vines then? I don't know if there are vines now. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, no, Vanessa. Okay. Now, her maternal family members themselves had said that home life wasn't always easy for Kyosha. There's some history of arrests for various things, in, at least for her mother and father and grandfather, for things like fighting or drug sales. And a few years actually before she was born, her grandfather survived being shot in the stomach. And by the time she's a young child, it looks like both of her parents are no longer together, and I can't find much about her dad past then. So she's got a bit of a wild home life. Yeah, I think things are a little bit hard for them. And so despite what the family acknowledges as a tumultuous home life, you can also tell there's a lot of affection for her on her mom's side of the family. But when Kyosha is a teenager, her mom goes to jail. This lands Kyosha in state care. And when she becomes pregnant, she ends up at a group home for teen moms called the Maison de Mer in Lafayette, which is about 10 miles away from Dusan. In August of 2011, she gives birth to her daughter and remains at the group home. Okay, so now she's living in a group home with her daughter? Yep. Okay. I'm not going to use her daughter's name through this, but her family says that Kyosha was deeply devoted to her daughter and, like, would often call her mama's cupcake. Oh. Yeah. At the end of April, she receives a weekend pass from the staff at the group home so that she can spend the weekend with her paternal aunt and her cousin. They lived in a mobile home or trailer in Dusan. Now, her maternal aunt, Lena, says that Kyosha did not want to spend time there because of her paternal aunt's boyfriend. He was a 43-year-old former felon, and Kyosha didn't like him. But still, she left on her weekend pass to go to her paternal aunt's. And he was there? It's unclear if he was there at the time. There's actually very little information available about what happened that weekend. Okay. I feel like if she didn't want to be around him, there's definitely a good reason. Yeah. At the very least, she thought she might run into him. Okay. On April 30th, which was a Monday, she was reported missing. Presumably, if she was on a weekend pass, this was when she was supposed to return to the group home. Okay. Where's her daughter at this point? That information is unclear as well. I'm assuming with her, although there's very little publicly available about that weekend, including that information. Okay. Her aunt and her cousin told police that the night before, so that would have been Sunday night, she left with someone they didn't see. And her aunt said that she had run away before, but they'd heard from her soon after. Okay. Now, to police, this is looking like a runaway case. And I'm sure they were ticking their boxes like young teen mom and her mom is in jail and there's this like presumption of a troubled home life and oh yeah she's run away before right but because we don't know if her daughter's with her or not that makes it hard to like I, i'm guessing that if she would have run away she'd have her daughter with her so her daughter did not disappear with her her daughter did not disappear with her no so that doesn't sound like a runaway to me Right. So it's unclear if her daughter stayed behind at the group home, or if her daughter was at the aunt's house, or where her daughter was in this process. But she definitely wasn't with Kyosha. 
No. Okay. Just the way, like, it just doesn't seem like she would do that. Exactly. And that's really what her family members say a lot in this case, that she would never leave her daughter. Right. Because yeah. at that young age, if she didn't want her daughter, that would be known before this point, I think. Yeah. And so her maternal side of the family says her daughter was important to her. Right. So the timeline, again, isn't exactly clear here, but her cousin adds one more thing that convinces police not to pursue this, which is she says that she's heard from Kyosha since she left the trailer and she's fine. So effectively, the search for Kyosha Felix stalls out and her baby is put in state custody. Is her cousin male or female? Female. Female cousin says that she heard from her. Do we believe that? Do you believe her? I don't know if I believe her. I mean, there's there's a lot going on here. But then something else happens in Lafayette. Now, remember, Lafayette's just 10 miles away from Dusan. And on May 19th, Michaela, otherwise known as Mickey Shunick, a 21-year-old University of Louisiana Lafayette student, left her friend's house on her bicycle. Her plan was to bike four to five miles to her own home. But somewhere along the way, Mickey and her bike vanish. Okay, so we have a different, a second disappearance in the same area. Right. So Mickey is a young, white, 21-year-old. And Kyosha is a young, black, 15-year-old who's a mom. Okay. So the search for Mickey is really intense. It is near her birthday, and she misses events that she planned on attending. Her story is covered extensively throughout the area. There are volunteers walking the streets looking for her or clues like her bike. They bring in Texas EquiSearch, which is a nonprofit search service. And less than a week after her disappearance, there is a benefit concert planned to help raise funds for the search. So it's safe to say that we're looking for Mickey a lot harder than we looked for Kyosha. Exactly. Investigators create a tip line for her case and hundreds of calls pour in. They do robocalls and automated emails to thousands of people with details about her to residents. And a $25,000 reward is offered for information about her. Do you think it's because they think it's less likely for a college student to run away? Or do you think it just goes back to that Mickey is white? I think there's a lot of things going on here. But one of the things that we've talked about in the past is Mm -hmm. the way in which these cases are handled and these cases are happening at the same time in the same area. By May 24th, Mickey's case is covered on the Nancy Grace show since five days after her disappearance to help raise national awareness and her story. It starts to be carried in papers across the country. In fact, I found an article about her in one of our local papers. Wow. So, and I do think that that should be happening. Exactly. But... Kirsha's much younger, and we should also be looking for her. Right. So we're, we're Regardless saying Regardless of the one aunt. Yeah. Or one cousin saying that she heard from her. Like, yeah. So what we're definitely saying, Mickey should have gotten yes. this amount of attention. Definitely. Yes. But also, Kyosha. Yes. Both. Finally, investigators are able to get surveillance footage of Mickey passing by on her bicycle the night of her disappearance, and she's being followed by a white truck. And then nine days later, her damaged bike is found about 30 miles away under the I-10's Whiskey Bay Bridge. It takes until July 5th, 47 days after her disappearance, for them to piece together what happened to Mickey when they arrest a registered sex offender for her murder. 
He was the one driving the white pickup truck that was seen following Mickey. And the connection was made through the tip line by that point, which had received thousands of calls. So it was helpful for them to do that. Exactly. This man is also charged in the murder of Lisa Pate, which surprises everyone because Lisa is a woman who had gone missing in the area in June of 1999. Oh, wow. So like 13 years before, and whose body was found September 1999. And so until this arrest in 2012, her murder had been unsolved. So he has at least two now. Exactly. And on August 9th, Mickey's body is finally recovered. And this is also through a detailed tip that investigators received. And so the reason that I'm talking about Mickey's story here is not because of a connection between them, but it helps highlight what happens or rather what doesn't happen in the case of Kyosha Felix. You have two young women missing from the same area, but in one case you have this like fervor and you find all these results of investigative leads that help solve her case. And the other, there's like just silence. Well, and you said both parts came from tips. Yes. So it's obviously helpful. Exactly. Well, I think even though it's like, like you said, it's not connected, it's definitely relevant to how quickly we find people. Mm -hmm. And that silence in Kyosha's case means that weeks go past before there's like anything like really seriously looked at again. I'm not in saying that investigators weren't following up on her case in this time, but I am saying that there is a lack of information. Well, I'm not hearing that either from you. I'm, I'm hearing you say mostly that like this is also a problem with media and what is put out there and what people think will get the most attention. Exactly. And so on July 23rd, Kyosha is finally reclassified from being a runaway to being missing. Okay. So that's progress. Yeah, and this reclassification seems to be because new information comes to light. First, her mother's family is adamant that she would not have left her baby. Lena, her aunt, says specifically she loves her baby. No way would she stay away. Lena's also the one who knew Kyosha had misgivings about staying with the paternal aunt. And Lena tells police that she highly doubts the reports that Kyosha contacted anyone, namely the cousin. Okay. I don't know why the cousin would say that then. Are we going to find out? No. We'll never find out? No. Okay. So we, she just said that. She just said that, yeah. Yeah. Second, Kyosha was, as I said earlier, actively on her phone and social media, but her phone was shut off and there were no updates since her April disappearance. Also, several witnesses, including a social worker from the group home, say that the paternal aunt's partner had actually raped Kyosha in the past. So that's why Kyosha didn't want to be near him. That's what they're piecing together. This reclassification of Kyosha's disappearance comes with what is almost the simultaneous arrest of this man, the aunt's partner, on July 26, 2012. He was brought in for questioning the evening before, and his arrest follows that questioning. He's charged with kidnapping and simple rape, which is a term and a charge meant to mean like acquaintance rape. Simple rape? I did not know this existed. Yeah. Acquaintance rape? What? what? Rape is rape. Right. I don't like that. It sounds like lesser. Yeah, the terminology it? is weird to me, but that's the like legal terminology okay. in Louisiana, apparently. He's held at the East Baton Rouge Parish Jail on a $350,000 bond. Then her aunt and her cousin are both arrested. The aunt is charged with rape. Really? I don't know where... 
It, Where's this coming from? It's and the really, same cousin that heard from her? Yeah. So, oh. like, because they lived together. Okay. Right. Yeah. And so the aunt's charged with rape and improper supervision of a minor. Okay. Her cousin was also arrested and charged with obstruction of justice, largely because it was claimed that she lied to police about talking to Kiyosha after April 30th. Okay. Doosan Police Chief Frank Andrew talked to the local paper, the Daily Advertiser, just after these arrests. He said of Kiyosha, she is still considered missing and we just want to bring her home. He followed up by saying in the coming days that they planned on re-interviewing some people in her disappearance. Later, he specifically says that Kiyosha's life may be in danger. But when journalists ask him specifically about this, he walks back from it and he kind of softens it by saying it's possible. So it is in danger. Yeah, it's like obviously if the girl is missing, yeah, there's some danger, right? Regardless. Yeah, no matter the circumstances. Right. right. There's not much said about the arrest of the aunt's boyfriend, but they do release more information about what happened when they questioned the aunt. She says first that she knew nothing about the allegations of sexual misconduct or rape by her partner to her niece. But then finally, she says that Kyosha did talk to her about it. Dusan Assistant Police Chief Gerald Crater asked why she didn't go to the police when she found out about what happened to Kyosha. And she said she asked her partner about it and he said it wasn't true. So she left it alone. Well, obviously, if he says it wasn't true, it can't be true. Like, so you asked him and he said no, and so that was it? Mm. Mm-mm. And she also said that these allegations by Kiyosha made her angry at her niece. <laughs> okay. This news is, of course, deeply upsetting for her family. Her grandfather says, she was a beautiful, sweet child. Our own people are hurting one another. That's the hard part. Which he presumably says regarding the news that one of Kiyosha's own family members might have done something. Her aunt Regina says, this is upsetting everyone. It's not what families are for. Right. So they they see it. Yeah. On July 29th, a candlelight vigil is held for Kiyosha at Dusan Park. At the end of the vigil, they released pink and white balloons and the crowd sang Amazing Grace. On April 6th, the man's brother is arrested as well. This is the uncle's or the aunt's? The aunt's partner's Boyfriend's brother. brother. Yes. The aunt's boyfriend's brother has now been arrested. Yes, and he is charged with simple kidnapping. Simple? Is that when you know the person? I don't know. Probably. (laughs) Despite these developments, very little information is being released publicly. But the Dusan police chief, Frank Andrew, does say on August 12th that he felt that they were very close to solving the case. But he also says this, which I find problematic... I can't say she was raped or she was not raped. But during our investigation, the testimonies from several people led officers with two probable causes to arrest a certain individual for a rape charge. That's a lot of words to say that she was most likely raped. Are we trying to soften it? Well, I feel like it's like a lot of words to say we have testimony from some people that led to an arrest for rape, right? Like, instead, it's just like, I can't say. Maybe, maybe not. Also, I find it, like, we're focusing on whether or not the missing girl was raped. Like, she's also missing. Right. She's, way worse things could have happened to her. 
Yeah, and so like this is like just weirdly bizarre, squishy language. I'm guessing around this time, Kiyosha's family must have felt like her case was finally getting steam after all this time. There's like the reclassification of her case to missing, the fact that four people at this point are under arrest, and the fact that the police chief is out there saying that he thinks this case will be solved shortly. Plus, finally, after all this time, it also looks like local, state, and federal authorities are working on this case. Okay, so she's getting more attention. Yes. But then the case starts sliding backwards. Not long after they're arrested, both the aunt and cousin bond out of jail and basically leave town. Like they literally pick up their trailer and move it to a new town. And on August 13th, the brother, the brother of the- The brother of the boyfriend? The brother of the boyfriend, yes. Okay. He's released from the Lafayette Parish Correctional Center. So they couldn't find anything on him. Right. And I'm also guessing that this release and the aunt and sister getting out of on bail causes a lot of frustration. This is also when the Doosan police largely go silent. Tammy Charles, who is someone I'm going to mention frequently here, is one of the community members who becomes a real advocate for Kyosha and her family, particularly at this time. Tammy says that they're not getting much information from the Doosan police chief except promises that they're working diligently on her case. That's also when the Daily Advertiser starts saying that their phone calls to the Dusan police are not being answered. And that's likely because there's some things going on behind the scenes, and the pressure point really is Kiyosha's case. On September 1st, Gerald Crater, who had been the lead in Kiyosha's case, is suddenly removed from the case and put on administrative leave. The mayor of the town, Johnny Thibodeau, is the one who makes a statement about this, and he claims it's because of substandard performance on Crater's part. But despite this news piece on this removal being billed as an update about Crater's removal, most of this is devoted to something else, and that's the rumors that have been circulating about the police chief, Frank Andrew. Can we talk about what those rumors are? Yeah. Okay. So apparently it's rumored that Frank Andrew is related to Kiyosha's aunt and cousin, the two that were arrested. Okay. Mayor Johnny Thibodeau, though, assures everyone that this relationship is distant and he sees no reason to call for Frank Andrew's resignation because, as he says, Andrew has nothing to do with the investigation. Okay, so he hasn't been working on this case. That's what they're claiming. It's only what they're claiming. I think it's important here to highlight the size of this department. It is like a police chief and I think like two it's other tiny. People. It's tiny. So everybody would have come into contact with this case at some point. And re remember before Frank Andrew was the one making public statements right. and he is fielding calls from her family and the volunteer Tammy Charles. So he is involved. Yeah. But we're saying he's not. Yeah. Okay. Finally, the mayor is asked to answer additional rumors, which are that the investigation into Kiyosha's disappearance have been too expensive for the town the size of Dusan. He does concede that, yes, they have put in a lot of hours into the case and that it has been expensive. So when that kind of thing happens, is there funding that these towns can get to be able to take on a case that is a little more expensive? Like some of those hotlines and some of those things, can those be volunteer run? Yeah, so... There's a lot of funding that can happen. And also, I'm going to go with what Tammy says. And she says that she wants Crater 
back on the case as lead investigator. And if not that, then the case should be turned over to someone else, like the Louisiana State Police. Right. So this could be passed on to a larger agency that could. Okay, so they don't have to tackle it themselves. Right, but they've been holding on to it. Okay, so if they let it go, there's much more, there could be much more attention on it. Yeah, I think that they could, you know, have worked to do that. Okay. We'll be back in a moment. 24 hours ago, I found out the person I'd been dating and seeing for the last six months as a con man. That is my sister, Emma. Andrew Tonks's lies had been so convincing, she'd invested $300,000 with him. However, the tables were about to turn on Andrew. What he didn't know was that Emma had discovered his real identity. But to get any chance of justice, Emma had to act like it was business as usual. Coming up in this series, and that's when murder, all this stuff goes through my mind. I'm really, really scared. I'm assuming Sarah has watched too much Netflix and figures I've been defrauding you. Couldn't be further from the truth. That's what this was, a real life story that seems so unbelievable, but it was actually true. A true story that all starts with one simple swipe to the right. I'm Sarah Ferris. And I'm Emma Ferris. And this is my story, Conning the Con. From DNA testing to the Dixie Mafia, Crime Capsule brings you new stories of true crime in American history. I'm your host, Benjamin Morris. Join us for exclusive interviews with authors from Arcadia Publishing, writing the hottest books on the most chilling stories of our country's past. You can find us wherever you get your favorite podcasts or on evergreenpodcasts.com. Crime Capsule. History so interesting, it's criminal. thing with you know frank andrew tammy has huge problems with it she's the one who becomes kind of like a spokesperson i think for the family but she says it's a shock to me the relationship between frank andrew and the aunt and cousin Mm -hmm. i had no idea the dusan police department left us clueless throughout the entire investigation and it's clear to her that there's a conflict of interest happening here so Yeah, it would have made sense for them to send this to another agency. The removal of Crater was not just a shock to Tammy, but other people as well. Jordan Hamlet, an investigator with Everlock Investigations, said that he was surprised because he knew that Crater was working diligently on the case. And Celie, one of Kiyosha's maternal aunts, said that when she had tried to ask police chief Andrew questions about the case, all she got were one-word responses before he turned his back on her and lit his cigarette. And one of the reasons that the family specifically wants Crater back on the case is that he's the only one who's been in contact with them. He's the one who has been answering their questions. He's the one who's been calling them with updates. This is like their only line of conversation because like I said, when her Aunt Celie tried to talk to the police chief, he shut her down. Right. So this is the family, just to be clear, removed from the cousin and aunt that were part of the problem, right? These are the... The maternal, her mom's side her of the Her mom's family. side of the family. So that, that was her dad's side. Yes. Okay, perfect. 
Celie herself, so her aunt on her mom's side, goes to ask Frank Andrew why Crater was removed from this case, but he won't give her answers. In the end, though, what happens is the case is actually turned over to another agency. It's now in the hands of the Lafayette Parish Sheriff's Department. Okay. So they turned it over to another agency, but still not the state. Right. Which is what Tammy wanted. Tammy wanted. Mm-hmm. Okay. Hours after this handover of the case, Frank Andrew is addressing the Dusan Town Council, and it's a standing room only crowd, including Kiyosha's family there. And Frank Andrew is leveling a litany of charges against Crater. He claims that Crater violated the constitutional rights of at least two American citizens while conducting the investigation into Kyosha's disappearance. And that this includes violating Fifth Amendment rights, as well as Louisiana state laws regarding searches and seizures. He then goes on to say that Crater did illegal searches, unlawful arrests, and gave false testimony. And he claims all of these actions put both the town and the police department at risk of lawsuits stemming directly from this case. So he's using this as the reason why he took him off of Kiyosha's case? Yes. But do we know if any of this is true? Well, there's like some evidence that will develop later. (laughs) We wait. We wait. We wait. Crater, though, is suspended with pay pending an internal investigation. Now, the investigation does actually seem to transform a bit in the hands of Lafayette Parish Sheriff's Department. I'm going to introduce someone else here. This is Kip Judis, who is the spokesperson for the department. Okay. Okay. He's also an officer. He says immediately that they have more resources than Dusan did um, to lead this investigation. And he also says that investigators at this time believe she's alive because there's no evidence right now to suggest that she met with foul play. Okay. Now... When you're saying she's alive, she's still being held somewhere, though. They don't think she's a runaway. It's unclear what they think at this point. On September 13th, the most tangible clue is offered up from the sheriff's department. They have security camera photo from the AT&T store in Lafayette taken in late April of a man who is brown-skinned, 5'7 to 5'9, wearing a white shirt, a hat, and some sort of rosary-type cross. They say he's not a suspect, but they are interested in talking to him. That feels like it's coming out of nowhere, though. It does, and they don't reveal at this time why they want to talk to this person. Okay. It's possible to feel like they're finally getting somewhere, but then seven weeks after he's arrested... All charges against the aunt's partner are dropped, and he is released from the Lafayette Correctional Facility. So everybody's released. Yeah, so the aunt and the cousin are out on bond, Mm -hmm. which is why the attorney for the aunt says that they're looking forward to the charges against her being dropped as well. The attorney states, now mind you, this is an attorney for the aunt. I think the Dusan police jumped the gun. The prosecution is aware that Kyosha's case is probably a runaway. The evidence they have so far against my client is lacking substance. 
And then the attorney goes a step further to say that the aunt didn't know about the rape allegations until after Kyosho went missing and that the aunt would have taken proper action if she'd known. The attorney also says that the only evidence that Kyosho was raped was based on a statement given by an employee from the group home. Okay, this is really wishy-washy. Because, like, she did say she knew. She did say she was mad about Kyosha saying this. Right. She, like, she's all over the place. Yeah, well, so the defense attorney has to, like... Well, yeah. Yeah. But, but, you know. So it's not unexpected from a defense attorney. And I think one of the clear things, though, is the labeling, at least publicly, again, of calling Kyosha a runaway. And, you know, I've had conversations about that before, like... If someone actually is a runaway, it doesn't matter because they are at risk as well. Right. But also by calling her that, she's just kind of reconfirming that we shouldn't be looking for her. Exactly. And that's what Tammy Charles, she says too. She says, I have a hard time believing that this kid would leave her child. The bottom line is, I don't care if she ran away, flew away, or if someone took her, someone needs to find her. Right. And that seems like the normal thing to do. I mean, she's 15. She's still a kid. Yes. Regardless of if she ran away or not, she needs to be found. Yeah, and that's what I really love about Tammy's statement here is not just emphasizing it doesn't matter, but also that she specifically calls Kyosha a child because I think that's something that's not being emphasized enough here. That even though she had a kid, she is a kid herself. Right. And I I think people seem to lose sight of that, especially with young women Mm -hmm. they seem to think that like teenage women are teenage girls are women right when really they're children like it doesn't matter if she has a child or not she is still a child exactly and so by the end of september tammy and kiosha's family start trying to raise awareness about kiosha's case and get some funding much like mickey's family had done for her they host a gospel concert but it only draws a crowd of 25 oh no yeah. This is also when we start to see some backlash publicly about Kyosha's family. There's an opinion piece in the paper comparing the turnout for Mickey's benefit to Kyosha's. And I really wish they would have called out issues of race and class or even background or talk about the disparities in response in the, from the same communities, but they don't. Instead, the blame is placed on her family for somehow not doing enough, not getting in front of the cameras or reporters enough, or when they do, that they use Tammy as their spokesperson. So on top of saying that she's a possible runaway, now they're blaming the family. Right. For not, quote unquote, doing enough. It's not shocking to see this happening to them, but it's disappointing and heartbreaking to see a family treated like this, particularly when I can trace her aunts in particular speaking up or attending events or marching into the Dusan Town Council in support of Crater. Just because the writer doesn't acknowledge them and their efforts doesn't actually make it true that they weren't speaking up. Right. I can't even imagine that level of like helpless that they must be feeling right now exactly and like give them and kyosha the same front pages that mickey had instead of shuffling her to the back section of the paper which is what they did right if they want to shame someone maybe they should shame people for not showing up exactly and this narrative that the family didn't do enough is one that seems to stick i still see it pop up online when her case is discussed you do I do. And it's really interesting because, like, if you actually follow all the newspaper articles, you see her aunts there 
over and over again. You watch videos of them. They are there speaking up. And I just like, I don't know what people want from them. What more can they do? Right. Meanwhile, over at the sheriff's office side of things, they claim they have five full-time investigators assigned to the case. And Kip Judice, the spokesperson for the sheriff's office, again steps up to reassure everyone. He says the case is not stagnant by any stretch of the imagination and that he believes she's out there alive. He outlines what their efforts are, which include talking to friends, neighbors and associates to try to gather more information. But he does say there's no evidence leaking that Anne's partner to crimes against Kiosha. Really? So he's not finding anything. No. But I mean, how would you find that? Yeah. How would you prove that somebody raped someone when that person's not even here to talk to? Right. So if we don't have her, how is she able to provide a statement? Yeah. It's getting into hard territory there. Right. In the meantime, Dusan's police force is still in an uproar. On October 9th, the town has a meeting and the primary function seems to discuss the employment of Crater, who was again the lead investigator. Police Chief Frank Andrew gets up in front of everyone, and I really can't believe he says this with no hint of irony. I had little knowledge of the case. I took the word of Mr. Crater, and whatever he did, I agreed upon. It turned out to be not so well. Hmm. Okay. Like, sir. That's what he wants to say about how he does his work. Right. Doesn't seem like anyone would want to say that about, like, how they conduct themselves at work. Yeah, so you, you just admitted that you didn't have oversight over your employee? You just admitted that you don't care about the cases that happen? Right. Yeah. And then he goes on to say, for the last month or so, I have made countless efforts to restore the confidence back in the department and mend the controversies between Tucson Police Department and other agencies. Now, Crater has his own lawyer there, and it's through this that we're able to glean some information about Kiyosha's case. The lawyer, Jocelyn Alex, asked the town council to look over a packet of documents that she says presents a very different picture of what's happened in this case. But basically, the town council opts not to. Okay. Instead, they the majority vote to fire Crater, and only two move to table the discussion to give them time to look at the documents. So in, a, in something like that, if they fire him, any of the work he did on this case, what happens to that? I'm assuming whatever was in his case was like passed on to the Lafayette Parish. Okay. Yeah. So would people at this point see like feel like it's easier to fire him? Yeah. I mean, I this is where that small town politics right. That's comes what I mean. Play. Like, are they going to be like, oh, like anything that we needed from him, we don't need anymore, so we can do this. Like, we can fire him. I mean, it's just bizarre to me that, like, if you're concerned about someone's, like, employment or the way this investigation is being handled, like, that the town council voted to fire him without actually, like, taking the time to look at the documentation provided by his lawyer. I mean, I think that's just, like, basic lawsuit 101 is that... <laughs> right. In those documents, though, are copies of text messages between Crater and the police chief confirming that there were regular interactions between Crater and the police chief asking for guidance. In them, the police chief texts Crater and says, we may be dealing with a human trafficking case. We may have to step into something more than a runaway. This text was sent on July 26th, around the time of the arrests and the change of status for Kiyosha's disappearance. Okay, so at this point, wow. Okay, so they're going for trap. That's what we think happened to her. Yeah, it's possible. It's and I possible. think many believe that this is a highly likely 
scenario, particularly because her family has been so adamant that she would not have been abandoning her baby. The fact that she hasn't popped up on social media, and that's a space that she seemed to enjoy being in. Right. And Molly Bensky, who was a communications director at Trafficking Hope, a Baton Rouge organization working against sex trafficking, believes that this was a likely case, and she spoke to the Daily Advertiser about it. Now, when when somebody is taken into sex trafficking, what are their, what are the odds of getting them back out? Yeah, I mean, I think there have been some instances where this happens. Like, to be clear, sex trafficking is rarely like stranger abduction in right. sex trafficking. It's most often like people you know, so like relatives, family, friends, like people in, you know, your thing. It also happens sometimes to runaways. And also a lot of things are coded as sex trafficking that are in a grayer area, but we can get into that in another time. But, you know, there have been cases which places have been raided or things have happened where people have been found or gotten out of being sex trafficked. Okay. But I mean, I'd like to point out that there's like a whole organization working against sex trafficking in 2012 in Louisiana, which says like there is like... It's definitely happening. Happening. Yeah. So despite this revelation, the presentation of this possibility of sex trafficking, it really does not seem like the community comes out in support for the search for Kiosha. Tammy Charles and a few of the other volunteers... They don't? No. No. Okay. So Tammy Charles and a few of the other volunteers, they try to organize a flag football tournament to raise awareness and funds. And Tammy says that when one of them went to a local business to ask for donations for the event, they were turned down because the business owner thought the whole thing was a scam. So they don't believe this is happening. I think that they are, the community is not there showing up for Kyosha, even with this sort of floated possibility like whether or not you think that's what happened or not there's this possibility out there that's like one of the things that could have happened to her and people are just still looking the other way in fact they have to cancel this flag football tournament because of a lack of interest now i will say that mickey's case they also dealt with flagging interest in her case between the time that her bicycle was found and the arrest of her killer but what they were dealing with was a reduction of hundreds of calls to what they call a trickle. Still, people still turned out in support for fundraisers and a general feeling of the public really supporting and caring for her family. And this is just comes down still to a difference of like the life they were leading. Like this white college student versus this, this black teenager who is deemed either a runaway or trafficked, which seems like in this town we're in denial about trafficking so yeah i mean i just i don't know why that didn't resonate with why would that not right like that seems even more like a need to find her so when kip judy's uh, the lafayette sheriff's department was asked for an update in january of 2013 he does say that the number of leads they're getting is dwindling okay I will say, though, one important call they did receive in that time that Kyosha was missing was from someone who thought they saw her in Dallas in the company of an adult male. Authorities did move in quickly on that tip, and while they didn't find Kyosha, they did find another 15-year-old who was in the company of a man who was returned to her family. Okay, so that was helpful 
on that. So it's just, it goes to show that like those tips help. Exactly. During this January check-in, Kip Judice also says that maybe they'll do something around her birthday in April to raise awareness, like a rally. What kind of rally? Like, Yeah, it's what? like some sort of event to call attention to it. But I just think it's like, oh, birthday. you know, or... so in four months, we'll maybe do that. Right. Yeah. There does not end up being a rally on her birthday. But instead, there's a press conference a few days later on April 11th. Kip Judis does a bit of a protective move here, one that where he really emphasizes not what they know in this case, but does an accounting of what they've done, basically to prove they've been working on the case. He says the sheriff has put in 1,500 hours. There's been 1,200 hours by the state police, Department of Child and Family Services, and FBI. The Louisiana Attorney General has put in 80 hours. Texas Attorney General and Dallas Police have done 40 hours. The New Orleans Police has done 12 hours. There's been 72 interviews, 20 subpoenas, and four search warrants. 2,000 flyers have been distributed, and countless electronic missing persons flyers. Are they saying that breakdown because they think it's a lot? I think so. Because it doesn't sound like a lot to me. Yeah, particularly because earlier he assured people that they had five people working full-time on her case. Yeah. Yeah. So where are all those hours? And 2,000 flyers? Yeah. Mm. Mm Mm-hmm. And I just think, like, this accounting is, like, it's like the show-your-work version of things. But it seems like, I don't know. It almost falls into the realm of, like, being manipulative in that case of, like, oh, you don't need to, like, we've got it covered. So I don't, not, I don't know, not manipulative. What would be the word for it? It's just, like, almost dismissive or, I don't know, like, we're bragging about something that we shouldn't be bragging about. Is that, what are we trying to prove with that? Right. Something that does come from this press conference is that he does say that there have only been 27 tips submitted for this case. Again, in Mickey's case and so many cases like hers, they hinged on tips coming in, but there's been barely any in this first year of Kiyosha's disappearance, just 27. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know. The one major detail that he does reveal is going back to that person of interest at the AT&T store. We're going back to him. We're going, yeah. <laughs> Apparently, the reason that they're interested in him is that this man bought a SIM card that used a password belonging to Kyosha. They knew this? I have no idea what exactly this means, but somehow that's why they're interested in him. How would they even know that? I have no idea. That's the only reason. Yes. And that's it. That's it. That stops there. That that does stop there. Okay. Yeah. At this press conference, though, is Kyosha's mother, Kiara Thibodeau, who has recently been released from jail. She doesn't say much, but she does say that Kyosha was very outspoken. And Kyosha's grandfather... Joseph Earl Narcisse, he says that one of the reasons that he has stayed away from the public eye on this is because he's dealing with the trauma of how much this reminds him of the kidnapping and murder of his stepdaughter a few years before. Wait, what? Okay. 
Now, none of the reporters follow up on this statement by Joseph, which I find particularly frustrating because this is a family that seems to be dealing with like layers of trauma. Right. Do they I, have who's responsible for that one? So I tried digging into this myself, and I just want to preface this by saying I could be completely wrong about this connection because this is, again, like complicated by a lack of media attention. But in the obituary from one of Joseph's relatives, it does include a predeceased list that includes a woman named Danielle Bibido. Do we know how old she is or anything about her? So I went to go look up like basically all the predeceased relatives to yeah. see if there's anything I could find. Now, I'm not sure if Danielle is the first the stepdaughter that went missing or if this Danielle that is found is that Danielle. Okay. To be clear. But on October 28th, 1998, which was, yes, a few years mm -hmm. before, a hunter found the remains of a Danielle Thibodeau in St. Martin's Parish on Aubrey Ozen Road. This is just east of Lafayette, while Dusan is west. So Danielle was 24 years old. There's only a brief article that I could find at the time that says her body was too badly decomposed to rule it a homicide. The only other place I really see Danielle Thibodeau's name pop up again is in a newspaper article in connection to Mickey's killer. It does not say that he killed Danielle, but it does mention her as an unsolved case in the area. That's quite a, quite a connection, though, if it was possible. Yeah, and I really wish that at the time reporters had really dug into what Joseph was saying about this. Right. Right. Particularly because I think this puts in context the amount of trauma that this family has experienced. That's a lot. Yeah. On the first anniversary of Kiyosha's disappearance, they host another candlelight vigil. And that's really where her story starts to fade away. There's been rumors of people seeing her in various places, but as Vanessa and I know from past cases, those aren't always reliable. And she was covered in a segment on John Walsh's In Pursuit in 2020. But every year is a new year that she is not there. Meanwhile, life seems to have gone on in the tiny town of Dusan. Crater, the fired police officer, sues the city of Dusan and several officials. And the aunt's partner and his brother, the ones who are arrested, also sue the city and I believe end up settling. In 2014, the Dusan police chief, Frank Andrew, is let go for drinking and gambling while on the clock. His successor is Kip Judice, the same officer who was the spokesperson in Kiyosha's case. And he works to expand the police force from two officers to five and put systems and policies into place that seem to be sorely needed at that police office. So some good things and some bad things. Yeah, and the Find Kyosha Felix Now Facebook page still exists, and they're kind of sending out a signal for Kyosha because in the end, there's still a kid missing. And like this holiday season, I was thinking about her a lot as I was like making my family dinner and spending time with my family. And my daughter was there, and she's close to the same age as Kyosha's baby, and my niece is Kyosha's age. And I just think now, even like, Looking at my niece, who would certainly tell me that she is a grown woman, I still think of her as one of our family babies, mm -hmm. right? And I think of Kyosha's family, who, like, probably does the same, and then all those moments have been taken from them. It's hard when those ages are fought through, because 
my daughter is the age that Kiosha was when she went missing. Yeah. So that's, it's, I think it makes it harder to hear these stories when you're connecting those things and thinking of how you'd feel if it was your family member and how helpless those aunts must have felt trying to find her. Right. And I, I just really wish that the community had taken a moment to do the same for Kiosha. Thought about what that would have been like to lose their kid and done what they could to find her. And so I'll end with a statement from Michelle Matthews Calloway, who was on the editorial board for the Daily Advertiser. And this is from a piece she wrote just as Kiosha's case was making it into public view and just as the search for Mickey was underway. Michelle Matthews Calloway writes, I'm thankful that our local cases are being solved, and I'm thankful for a court system that brings killers to justice. I know Mickey Koenig and Lisa Pate by name, and like so many other citizens in Acadiana, my heart bleeds for their families. Yet I must admit that my heart also bleeds for those missing persons whose names I will never hear because their lack of connections and seeming corresponding lack of attention. Each of our citizens is important. Everyone matters. Let's not leave any person behind. We are now going to listen to Amy's poem, After the Maison de Mer, read by McKenna Roberts. McKenna Roberts is an American actress and model. At age four, she was signed to Ford Models and went on to work for companies like Nordstrom, Forever 21, H&M, and more. Her first television role was on Nickelodeon's Sam and Cat. She went on to play Matilda Ashby for The Young and the Restless and most recently played a younger version of Zendaya in Euphoria. McKenna made her big screen debut as Georgia Sawyer, a lead in the feature film Skyscraper. In the House of Mothers, the girls measured their stretch marks by the widths of their hands, the thickness of their fingers. We bear the marks of tigers, they say, palming the fierce sleekness of ripped skin. But when the girl named Red kissed her baby, she thought nothing of the rippling musculature of jungle cats. Only the way her child's body thrusts against her, the way men thrust their bodies against her, the way the air and the heat and the light thrust against her. This is what they make of us, she tells her daughter. This is what we make of ourselves. Because what are the words to say you do not want the rasp of their lips or the coarseness of their thighs? And then she's gone. And we are still here, screaming under the star sky. For more information about our show or to check out other shows on the network, please visit evergreenpodcast.com. Bye, Vanessa. Bye, Amy. introduce you to Barry Clue, an authorised financial advisor from New Zealand and a very special kind of stain on humanity. He was a very uh, knowledgeable young guy. He was a registered financial advisor. Type of guy that was bending over backwards to help you. Now you could be forgiven for thinking that Barry sounds like a great guy and you'd be right. Well, right up until the point when you're wrong. It was all fictitious. She stole from my son who has a disability. Chris never knew. He died believing that we're all taken care of. A psychopath is somebody who lacks empathy, acts impulsively. I think there's a strong case that Barry might be all of those things actually. To find out how Barry Clue stole over $15 million from 81 victims, subscribe to Clueless, the long con. That's Clueless, spelt K-L-O-O-G-H-L-E-S-S. 
Ohio is a land of mystery, from missing shipwrecks and lost treasure beneath her surface to strange phenomena slicing through her skies, from myths that have evolved around historic events and people to the unsolved murders and disappearances that keep her communities wondering what happened. Find Ohio Mysteries on your favorite podcast app, and let's explore the inexplicable. OhioMysteries.com. <laughs> <laughs>